welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. Jeff Goins is joining me today for episode 43 of the Creative Giant Show. Jeff Goins is a full-time writer who lives just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, with his wife, son, and border collie. He is the author of four books, including the national bestseller, The Art of Work. His website, GoinsWriter.com, has been visited by more than 4 million people from all over the world. Jeff is on the show today because I wanted him to share a story about how he ended up as a writer when he started out as a musician. He's managed to create quite a business for himself for it to be an accident. This is going to be an interesting show. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Alrighty, so I love origin stories and we're going to start there. Um, you didn't quite take the usual path from college and instead went on a few creative adventures, let's call them. Um, what was the impetus, yeah. the impetus that led you to starting the business um, part of your journey? Yeah, well, business was never something that I... Um uh, thought about getting into. Um, my, you know, I always thought of myself as a creative or as an artist. Um, when I was really young, I used to draw pictures of Garfield. Uh, so I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to draw cartoons. I used to, and then I got into, I was like uh, 11 or 12 and I got into comic books and I started drawing, you know, drawing these little comic books. Uh, and then I learned how to play the guitar as a teenager. My dad taught me started playing all these different bands. And if you were to ask me at 18 years old what I wanted to do, I said, oh, I, want to, I want to be in a band. And um, when I did go to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, I'll study Spanish and religion. Um, and, uh, you know, not very practical degree. Spanish is great. But I'll, the only reason I did that was so I could go to Spain. And I went to Spain and um, I realized, wow, I love the world. I love all these different cultures. I'd never left the country. And so I came back from that and I was like, oh, you know, this coffee sucks. And, you know, as well, you know, got my Euro snob going on. And um, and then I come, you know, I come back from that and realize I want to travel more. I want to see the world. And so I graduate from college and I join um, uh, this uh, band and we travel all over the country playing music. And then we play, we did a tour in Taiwan. We were real big in Taipei. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and then I and then I and then I came back from that, and this girl that I wanted to marry moved to Nashville, and so I moved to Nashville, and I'm like, you know, I've got a bachelor's degree, and I I play guitar, like I should I should be able to get a job in Nashville, no problem, not knowing that there's like like hundreds of thousands of people that have those credentials that are that are working, you know, in food service, and so I was like, well, what am I going to do for work? And so I was sleeping on a friend's couch, and I was working in this call center. And I connected with this nonprofit based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And at the time, I was learning about blogging. And they hired me initially as a copywriter. And then um, uh, we started this online magazine together, which was just a blog. And I remember going to Borders Bookstore and buying their like blogging for dummies book. And I was like, well, I can't understand any of this stuff. And then I just, you know, figured it out. I tried to figure out how to, you know, build an online community um, using what was, what wasn't even called social media at the time. I think it was called like new media or something. And, um, and that was sort of like 
my initial education into this world that would become way more important later on that I, I had no idea about. I was working for this nonprofit with a zero dollar marketing budget. I eventually became the marketing director there. And then figuring out how do you create grassroots communities using this, you know, this free technology basically through storytelling, through copywriting, through putting your stuff out there. And I did that for seven years and without realizing it, that was the perfect education for me to eventually take all that stuff and apply it to my passion of writing, which was this dormant thing that I'd always done on the side, but never really considered seriously. And then I decided at 27 years old, I want to be a writer. How do I do that? Well, I think I got to start a blog and do all this, do all this internet stuff that people are doing. And I'd done it for other, you know, an organization, but I'd never done it for myself. And uh, that was how the business started was sort of accidentally me just trying to figure out how do I be a writer and use the internet and not starve. Give us a timestamp for when you switch from the nonprofit to your own um, platform. Yeah. So that was 2000. Well, so I started dreaming about this in 2010. I had this um, static website um, called Goins Writer, uh, GoinsWriter.com. And it was just my last name and writer because I couldn't get JeffGoins.com. So I was like, well, this, this is kind of cool. This will work. And it was for freelance writing, which I did not do and did get paid to do. But I was like, maybe I'll get to do this someday. And so I created this writing website in 2010 on WordPress.com. And so it was GoinsWriter.WordPress.com. And, um, and then I would do these like pieces for magazines and, and then they would reject me or I'd, they, they'd publish something small and then I'd come back six months later and they go, who are you again? It was just really frustrating and defeating. And I kept hearing people talk about platform and personal brand. And I was like, I guess I need one of those because people keep forgetting (laughs) who I am (laughs) and I feel like an idiot. Um, and it's frustrating because I've got some, you know, 19 year old college intern, you know, who's working for the, you know, as an editor of this magazine, turning me away. And then six months later, I'm coming back and they're going, and there's somebody else who's taken their place. And it's just frustrating. And so I'm like, okay, like people don't know who I am. Uh, I, I don't really know who I am. And so I'll do it. I'll do the, I'll do the platform thing. So that was in 2010, 2011. I launched the blog. I get the self-hosted WordPress site up and I launch coinswriter.com and I just start writing, not even sure what I'm writing about, um, just to kind of see what works, you know, throwing stuff against the wall. And then I start writing about my writing process and sharing what I've learned as a marketing director and how we've, you know, what we've learned about storytelling and how to capture attention through blogging and social media. And that stuff starts to take off. And that was in 2011. So when you made that switch to your own platform, I think you already mentioned say one of the challengers and one of the one of the new things you had to figure out when you made that switch. What were some other things that you figured out in that first sort of two years of you going out on your own? Yeah, so I started the blog in 2011. I quit my job in uh, I get yeah I quit my job in 2012. Uh, I think is is when all that happened. Um, and I basically had like 18 months of doing both, where I'm you know working on this thing on the side just writing, not making any money. And then, uh, my wife and I got pregnant and, um, my wife got pregnant and I was just, you know, I was apparently a participant in the process. But when I tell this story, I say my wife got pregnant. She's like, well, you know, by you. So like, don't just say my wife ran off and got pregnant. (laughs) Anyway, that's just a caveat for that story. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I'm doing, you know, both things and trying to figure out, can I do just one thing? 
and I didn't hate my job. You know, I think this is a myth. People talk about, I had to quit the you know cubicle because I hated my job. Mm-hmm. I think most people kind of like their jobs. If you hate your job, like that's really good news because you know what you need to do. Something, you've got to quit. You've got to get another job or go work for yourself because you can't stay in a job that you hate. But if you kind of like your job or you can tolerate it, that's a dangerous place to be. And that's where I was, where I started out really liking my job. And then the more I did it, you know, by year seven, I was going, I, I don't know. I don't know that I want to be keep doing this. That's a dangerous place to be because you know you can keep doing it because it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the big paradigm shift for me, the first one that happened was um, I, I kept thinking about it as an aspiration, like this thing that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a writer. And finally, a friend called me on this and he said, Jeff, you are a writer. You just need to write. And that, you know, as zen as that sounds was like big to me because I kept thinking, well, I'll keep doing this and one day I'll earn this title, I'll become this thing and then people take me seriously Mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, why are people treating me like an amateur? Well, because I was thinking of myself like an amateur. So when I did what Stephen Pressfield calls turning pro, I turned pro in my head, I started to do better work and guess what? People started to take it seriously. That That was a big paradigm shift for me. Yeah, you know, at Parallels, um, something that I'll talk to creatives about sometimes, because I think we get hung up with words like artist. I'm an artist. Right. Right. And so a lot of times what I'll ask them to say is, you know what, don't say you're an artist, right? Don't worry about that right now. You're a writer, (laughs) you're a sculptor, you're a painter, you're, because those are, I mean, you do those by doing the verb. You're a painter because you paint. You don't art. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things that if you're struggling, like I'm not a writer, like if you're writing every morning, you're a friggin' writer. You might not be known. (laughs) You might not be successful by by certain, but you're a writer. Get over that story. Uh, Yeah. Well said. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, and so I appreciate you sharing that part of the journey because Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of those. Did you find it challenging um, to switch from sort of what you were doing in the nonprofit and talking about the work that other people are doing and that sort of thing to talking about your own stuff? I did. Yeah. And I've kind of come full circle with that where um, I realized that um, a personal brand is not a means to an end. It's a beginning of a conversation. But we are attracted to personal brands because we're, we connect with people. We connect with people more easily than we connect with ideas. And so if I see somebody succeed and I go, well, you know, Charlie did it. So maybe I could do it because like I've got more hair than him. And so like maybe I have an advantage, you know, like you can, you can put yourself into people's place, you know, put, put, put yourself in their shoes and it's easier than an ideal or, you know, some, some abstraction. But, uh, then eventually I think, you know, you have to not just keep pointing people to yourself. You have to point them to someone else, something else, uh, which is kind of the fun place that I'm at right now, where I'm not, I'm telling fewer and fewer of my stories and more of other people's stories, which is, which is fun. It, it makes you realize maybe I, I didn't just get lucky. Maybe there are principles here. And that was a fun part for me in writing the art of work was it was all of these other people's stories. Um, so, but yeah, initially people want to know your story and they want to know, why should I listen to you? Why are you legit? And that is uncomfortable. I think what was really important for me to realize was this wasn't something new. This was something old. So I'm 27 years old. I'm starting a blog. I'm talking about writing. And of course, there's that imposter syndrome thing that we all go through. Who am I to tell people what to do? I haven't published a book. I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I haven't done this. Yeah, but what have I been doing? Well, for the past seven or eight years, I've been coaching, teaching, leading creatives, designers, writers for this nonprofit, uh, you know, 
communicating with millions of people through our messaging. So maybe I know, maybe I don't know everything, but maybe I know some things that other people don't know. And I love uh, that Derek Sivers quote, what's obvious to you is amazing to others. And so what finally gave me confidence, and uh, it wasn't me like tricking myself out, it was me putting stuff out there. And, uh, you know, I would, I would try to write like the Seth Godin blog post. I wrote a blog post one time. It's still on my blog. It still doesn't make much sense. But the, the title was, um, when life hands you lemons, learn alchemy. And, and it's like this, like, basically what I'm saying is when life hands you lemons, make orange juice. In other words, you can take whatever life throws at you and turn it into whatever you want. Like, yeah. Like if I have to translate the headline, it's not very clear. Um, so you know, I wrote this really convoluted stuff. And I'm like, why do people like this? This is genius. And, uh, and then I would like coach my team because I was working as a marketing director. Okay, guys, like these email newsletters aren't any good. Here are four things that you need to do to write more clearly. I was like, hey, that's pretty good. I, I bet I could put that on a blog post. And I put that on a blog post and I'd get like 12 comments. And I only had 13 readers at the time. So I was like, hey, this is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started putting my work out there, stuff that felt very obvious to me, sort of boring and mundane, but I liked it. But I was like, ah, everybody knows this. And when I started putting this, everybody knows this content out there and not everybody knew it. I was like, wow, maybe I have something to share with a certain group of people that would be beneficial. And that was, that was pretty big for me. Yeah, fantastic. One thing that I want to riff on real quick here is if you're getting started or you're sort of in the throes of your work and you hear that everybody or nobody, yeah, like right. just understand that that's a false belief. No matter yeah. what follows, everybody thinks that false. Nobody yeah. does that false. Right. <laughs> There's somebody out there that doesn't know it. There's yeah. somebody out there that doesn't do it. And your job is to reach them. That's the whole thing, right? Yeah. And so agreed. I just wanted to riff on that one. Um, let's, let's pivot a little bit and talk about, um, the art of work. So you mentioned in the art of work that it wasn't the book you intended to write. Mm -hmm. So what was the book you intended to write and and how did you work through it taking its different turn? Well, I can tell you about that book because I wrote it and I didn't publish it. Um, I wrote uh, a book that was basically here, the seven steps that you need to do to achieve your dream. And I wrote that book and I was like, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, and, and then I was like, but I need some stories. Like I need some more stories that aren't just me and how awesome I am. And so I went and found all these stories by, uh, interviewing people, doing research. And as I began to kind of dig deeper, I realized, uh, two things. One, what I was saying wasn't actually true. Uh, I was sort of like having the very best, cleanest, most succinct version of the truth, but there was all this nuance and messiness that I wasn't communicating that when people told their stories was a really big part of it. Like start, like an example of this is, um, you know, when Walt Disney or Mother Teresa or uh, Jody Nolan, a person whose story I tell in the book, when they started out, whatever it is, is they were doing, they started out in life, when they started out in their career, they didn't know what they wanted to do. They didn't know. And so this idea, like when you become successful, you go, I always knew that I wanted to be a painter. Um, sometimes that's true. I'm not saying that's never true. Sometimes that's true. Often it's not. And in every case, every study, every story um, I uh, told in this book, hundreds of stories I encountered, um, it was, that was never true. And I was like, that's, that's true for me too. But for mm-hmm. the past two years, when people interview me on podcasts and they go, how do you know you want to be a writer? Oh, I've always wanted to be a writer. Now, the nuance of that is I had always written, but I never believed that I could be a writer. And so when I finally became a writer, I realized, man, this has always been in me. This has been like the girl next door, you know, hiding somewhere deep into my soul and I unlocked it. So in a way, both are true. Like I, I always wanted it, but I didn't always know that I wanted it. And, and so, um, 
the book that I wanted to write was do this, do this, do this, do this. I don't like those books. I don't connect with those books. I'm sure they do a lot of good in the world, but I find them sort of condescending and unhelpful. I wanted to write a book about real people doing, uh, living meaningful lives, doing meaningful work that, that anybody could relate to by describing the mess, not knowing, uh, not having everything figured out, being afraid, uh, you know, having one failure lead to the next failure lead to the next failure. And then finally, maybe sometime succeeding. And I couldn't find many books about that. And so I felt like it was important to say that. And I grew through writing the book because at the end of the book, I realized I wasn't honestly telling my story. And now I try to honestly tell my story and go, yeah, I didn't know, but I learned, I learned through this habit that you can, you know, do too. You can listen to your life and pay attention. Uh, and it was fun. And, and I think that anytime we really engage in other people's stories and surround ourselves in community and, and we start honestly telling each other what we're really going through, um, we grow and we become better for it. And I hope the book in some way does that for someone else. That's fantastic. Yeah, that that tracks a lot of the episodes on the show. And like, how'd you get started with this? And sometimes you'll hear people, I had no idea I was going to end up right. doing this, right? Yeah. And I think part of it is the beautiful times that we live in, because we know 10 years from now, there will be some option that makes us living in the world easier or within our grasp that we can't see right now. So hmm. it's impossible for us to say, well, I know that I'm going to do X. Right. It yeah, didn't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So true. when we were growing up, like blogging in the way that we're talking yeah. about really didn't exist. You couldn't have wanted to be a blogger. Yeah. That's like saying, uh, you know, Charlie, ever since, uh, you know, 1983, when I was born, I've wanted to be a blogger. <laughs> yeah. It didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we could have always wanted to be a storyteller or a writer or, or mediums like that. It exists. So I'm just saying, like, leave it open. Like, uh, sure. you know, where we're going with that. So you you capture all these stories. And you capture what sounds to be some of the murkiness that wasn't quite um, quite part of like the seven ways to be awesome uh, right. book. Right. Um, those, those books are so appealing to write. I'm, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got one or two sitting there. I'm like, I'm not going to publish that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think your choice of calling is really interesting in that mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. um, most conversations around calling tends to be like that thing that you were you show up with either divine writ or that's that that's just what you do but it seems right. like maybe it's not that so tell us what you mean by calling so i use that word intentionally because I, I heard more and more people talk about talk that way about their vocation about the, the work that they were doing or that they wanted to do you and i were just at a conference where i heard people on stage use that word like five times mm -hmm. so it it, it is embedded our culture. And traditionally it had this very super spiritual kind of religious connotation. I totally recognize that. And I think that's valid. Uh, but I try to expand the term because it's, it's changing meaning culturally. And I wanted to use that term because more and more people are talking about it. And I think it's apropos. I think there's a reason for that. I think it's different from saying, you know, I, I'm trying to find my calling versus I want to succeed. It's, it's different because when I say I want to find my calling, which I just, define as um, the reason that you were born, the thing that you were meant to do, which can evolve, it can change, it can be a few things. Uh, those are all kind of things we're going to explore in the book. Um, but uh, it's not just about succeeding. It's about succeeding at the right thing, the thing that's fulfilling to you that also adds value to the world. Frederick Buechner says your vocation is the place where your, uh, your deepest joy meets the world's deepest need. And I think that's a pretty good definition. Okay. So in the book, 
you say that to find your calling, you have to listen to your life. And before mm-hmm. we talk about listening to your life, why aren't we listening in the first place? That's a good question. I think we're busy. You know, I think that's, um, I think that's, we are so consumed about the next thing and about, and, and I mean, we live in this world where, you know, like if I, I literally have these stupid thoughts like, oh my gosh, I haven't put my face or I haven't put a picture on Instagram in 48 hours. Like the internet probably thinks I'm dead, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's this weird obsession with now. And, and when we're so obsessed with now, uh, we're certainly not thinking about the future, not the, the long-term future. We're not making significant strides towards our purpose, towards, you know, deep, meaningful work. I mean, I think we can all wrap our heads around the fact that if I'm always caught up in the constant busyness of today, it's hard to do really important things that matter that take more than, you know, 24 hours to turn around. And we're also not thinking about the past. And um, I went through this season of life, 27, 28 years old, where I was, where I was in this career that I liked, that I was good at, that I knew I probably wasn't going to get fired from. Like my story is not one of those stories where, yeah, I got fired and I hit rock bottom and I had to figure out what I was meant to do. I was in a much scarier place where I knew I could put this thing on autopilot and wake up at age 40 and go, where did it all go? And, and now I'm having a midlife crisis. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And so I recognized that I could put my head down and work another 10 years. And, and, and I asked myself the question, am I going to like where I end up? And is this where I'm supposed to be? I'll be good at it. I'll be successful. But is this where I'm supposed to be? And again, it's not this weird binary thing where like you hate your life or you love your life. Mm-hmm. It was, is this going to resonate with me or will I know that I have settled? And I was very comfortable <laughs> with how I was answering that question. No, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I will have settled and I don't want to settle. I want to try something um, risky and audacious that calls greatness um, out of me. And so- for me, that was, you know, so, so listening to your life became the vehicle for doing that. I didn't know what that meant or, or, you know, how to do that. Um, but I knew that I had to slow down. And so I started going to these conferences. I started talking to people and I had that conversation, um, that I talk about in the book with a friend where, you know, he asked me what my dream is. And I said, I don't know. And then he calls me on it. He goes, I think you do know. He says, I think you want to be a writer. You're just scared to admit it. And I say, yeah, yeah, I want to be a writer. And, and he goes, well, you are a writer. You just need to write. Um, and for me, listening to my life was realizing that, um, yes, I've failed and I've done stupid stuff and I've gone down the wrong path probably more than I should have, but not all of my life is an accident. And there's this quote by a guy named Parker Palmer where he says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, which is sort of like that traditional life planning, goal setting paradigm, which is all good. Uh, but again, the point of a calling is to not succeed uh, at the you know wrong thing. And so um, he says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. So I started listening to my life when I started talking to my wife, talking to my friends and started looking back at my past and looking at some of the things I'd always done, the things that I was good at, the things that I wasn't good at, the things that I liked and I didn't enjoy. I realized that my life was telling me that I was a writer. I just needed to write. I want to be clear that I'm not being contrarian here. I'm, I, you know, I read the book yeah, no, and, I, totally. and I was thinking, hmm, that's interesting. That's an interesting tension. So another sort of interesting tension was um, you said that to find our calling, we have to listen to our lives. Mm-hmm. But you've also said we don't understand our calling until we're at the end of our lives looking back. Right. And so is it that we can find our calling before we understand our calling? And if that's true... How can we make meaning of our calling if we can't understand it? I mean, I think that's that sort of yeah. vortex we live in. So talk to us a little bit. 
I think it's a little bit of a paradox, not to dodge the question, but I, I think that, um, I liken it to this, like it's a path. I call, I call a calling a path, not a plan. And I think of if you're out in the forest somewhere and you're wandering, which is how a lot of people feel with their lives, they're wandering, they're grabbing this philosophy or this idea or, or this plan. And they hold on to it for a while and then it doesn't get them to where they want to go and they let go of it. Um, and I, I think this is how we live our lives. We're sort of kind of, we're out in the, in the water being tossed from, you know, w one wave to the next. And, um, when you're, out in the wilderness and you stumble upon a path, you can make some assumptions. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can deduce that this isn't here by accident, that many people have walked this before, that this probably leads somewhere that isn't going to kill me. It might, it might kill me, but, <laughs> but hopefully, because there aren't dead people strewn across this path, that I can get out of here. If I'm lost in the wilderness, this is going to lead me to where I want to go. I think finding your calling is that. I think people think, I'm done. I found it. I'm, you know, everything's great. That's not true. It's a lifelong pursuit uh, that doesn't really end until you die. Um, and so this idea of finding your calling, discovering what you're meant to do, I think is kind of like finding a path in the wilderness where you go, oh, I'm here. And there's, and there's, it starts way back there. I can't see where it starts and it ends way down there and I can't see where it ends. What I know is I'm right here and I can take the next step and the next step and, you know, I'll see what's around that bend a few steps down the way. And so listening to your life, accidental apprenticeships, painful practice, these are the concepts in the book. Um, I say these are kind of like stages, but they're more like themes that once they start, they, they continue for the rest of your life. So um, a uh, listening to your life is a perpetual practice. So wherever you are in your life, you need to go, I'm doing this right now. I've built this business. I'm writing less. I'm monetizing more. And I go, this isn't what this why is this isn't why I got into this game in the first place. So I'm going, okay, what is it I really like doing? What do I not like doing? What am I good at? What am I not good at? I'm listening to my life so that it can inform the next step that I take. And I'm realizing I made some assumptions about what I thought I was supposed to do. And so now I gotta I gotta make some pivots. I gotta change. So yeah, I don't think you completely understand what it is that you're meant to do until you're lying on your deathbed and hopefully you're going, I did it right. I, I didn't waste my time. So I, I think the tension there is you listen to your life to understand where am I at right now in the journey and what's the next step that I can take. But you need to keep listening. You need to keep paying attention because you're not going to just find your calling and go do it and everything's going to be amazing. You're going to get a piece of it. You're going to go, oh, this is really great. I'm really excited about it. And then you're going to take it and run with it and you're going to veer slightly in the wrong direction and you're going to fail or hit an obstacle. That's another opportunity to reflect, dig deep and go, what am I getting wrong? What am I, what did I not misunderstand? How can I learn from this failure? How can I slightly turn or adjust the course and then keep going? Absolutely. It reminds me of the quote. I can never remember his last name, um, but it's wander. There is no path. We create the path by walking or by walking it. So that's a paraphrase. Um, we'll yeah. correct it in the show notes. But yeah, it's one of those things where if you're looking for that path, um, it's probably better to get to walking, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to consider, especially, you know, uh, if you're if you're out in the wilderness, you're hiking somewhere, you'll find trails, you'll find trails where generations of bears and deer and these wild animals have, have, have walked and, you know, even, you know, human trails. Um, and like the first person or creature that walked down that, it didn't look like that. And, and that's absolutely true. Fantastic. So you got the book out. You're doing um, a lot of great work to promote it and things like that. What's the, been the thing that's been the most surprising bit of feedback that you've gotten about the book? 
Well, I didn't expect all these people to quit their jobs. It's not a book about quitting your job, but I do get an email a week probably saying, I read your book and I quit my job. And, and, and my wife is like, you should have put like a legal clause in there that indemnifies you. From <laughs> uh, but it's fun. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been really great. Um, I remember an interview that I um, read one time with Jim Henson where somebody said, aren't you surprised by all the success you got? Like, isn't it, a, isn't it amazing? Doesn't it surprise you? And he says, honestly, I'm not. I worked really hard. I wanted to do this and I did it. And that, that, that can kind of come across as arrogant, but I think there's a humility to saying, I, I chose not to do all these other things so that I could do this thing and, and, and I'm really happy with, with the results. Not to say that everything went according to plan or there weren't failures, um, but that's kind of how I feel about the book in the sense that I used to just kind of like write books and I was like, oh, this is what I want to talk about. And hopefully people care about it. I'm like, why don't people care about this? I intentionally wrote this book in a way that could help people. And it was personally satisfying to me, but I wrote the book to do the, a lot of the things that it's doing. And again, not to say that there weren't disappointments or failures or surprises, but a lot of it, um, you know, uh, I've been really glad about to see all the hard work has paid off really in terms of people reading the book and going, wow, this really helps me. I think the surprising thing for me has been typically I, I write a book, I launch it. This is my fourth book. Everybody talks about it and then nobody talks about it and, and it sits on their shelves. What's been fun about the art of work and I, and I wrote it with the hopes of doing this, but you know, you sort of, it's an act of faith. You write it and a year later, people will tell you if it's any good. And then every day I'll see tweets on Twitter and people talking about it, you know, months after getting the book, somebody finally goes, oh, I'm going to read this. And I, there's something about that, that lasting, um, presence uh, of the book. And again, we're only talking about a few months into it, but it feels like a lifetime for, for me. Um, I find that really rewarding. And that probably has been a bit of a surprise that people are reading the book and, and it's actually touching them in a way that I hoped it would. Yeah, that's fantastic. A um, similar thing ha has happened with the Small Business Life Cycle, which is my first book. Yeah. And people are like, I, I read it, I read it every quarter and I read it again and this hits me. And I'm like, you read it every quarter. That's fantastic. I mean, because yeah. that's what I wanted them to do with it. And so that's really, yeah. that's really fun. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So what's your growth edge right now? Like, I mean, you've been growing, you've been doing different things, but where do you find that place where you have to have the either painful practice or that deliberate practice to get through right, right now? Yeah. Um, in terms of personal growth, I'll leave it open. Personal bro growth, professional growth. Uh -huh. Um, it's really simple, but I'm really bad at it. Like I was talking to my, a friend of mine who's a fitness coach and, and, and I was like, I'm really struggling. And he goes, well, what's, what's, what's the problem? How can I help you? I was like, well, problem is I haven't done those things that you told me to do three months ago. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, over lunch and we were talking about, business stuff and, you know, this struggle with, um, my business. Like I just don't have the organization that I want to have and people don't do the things that I want to do. And, and I keep, you know, committing to things that I don't have time for. And I'm like all frustrated. And he's like, dude, like six months, I told you you need to do this, this, this. I was like, yeah, but it's, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know? And then, and then I was just talking to this career coach, um, uh, right before we talked and I was talking about when people email me and they go, oh, but it's really hard. And I just get annoyed. I'm like, well, just do it. <laughs> so there's all kinds of irony here. Um, but what's been really fun recently is there are some things that I go, you know what? Like it is a limiting belief for me to say I'm not organized. Therefore, like 
having a messy desk stresses me out, but I'm not organized. So what do I do about that? Do I just go, oh, I'm not organized and, and live in stress? Or I go, no, like I can actually get better at this. I don't have to master this, but I can have a clean office. And uh, in, in the business, we're doing that right now where I, I hired somebody to help me um, uh, kind of organize how, you know, we've got a team, we do, you know, courses and do different things that require more than just me. And when it's just me, I'm so stressed. And so I'm willing to invest into processes and operations. And so as simple as it is, it's it's taking what I know and, and doing something with it as opposed to going to try to get new information, which I think is something that a lot of people do. And I certainly did for a long time. I was like, oh, I just need to read another book. I just need to go to another conference. And I think there's um, the people that I l- admire uh, have this, um, it's great to learn, but they also have this discipline about no, 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 no. Like I'm going to just kind of pause it right here and I'm going to go apply something that I've already learned, some, some something in one of those notebooks before I go consume the next piece of content or information. And I am in the process of acquiring that discipline. And it's not easy, but I'm finding it to be rewarding and it brings this sense of peace. You know, the organization, you know, bringing in people that can help me structure things, uh, really, really good. And, and uh, you know, like it's one of those things where I go, man, why did I wait so long to do this? Mm. didn't hurt bad enough that's right right. (laughs) um so people remember nothing else about you and your work from this episode what's the one thing you want them to take away i've been thinking about this a lot um because i think like a lot of people i'm bad at talking about what i do and yet i can tell other people how to talk about what they do really well um and i think you know i I get that i mean i think the challenge is you don't want to get pigeonholed you don't want to be you know, that guy, cause you might want to change your mind. I don't want to be the, you know, the writer guy cause I want to be something else. Um, I think what, I, what it really comes down to is, is this, and, and it really is kind of the, the thing that I hung my hat on in the art of work. I think everybody has a gift to share. And I think that gift is creative. Even if you don't think of yourself as a creative, as a marketer or an artist or a musician, um, if you have a gift to share, and I think we all do, we, we all have some skill or insight or something to share with the world. I think everybody has a gift and and they also have a responsibility to hone that gift and share it with the world in some way. And I think we make the world a better place and it's just a lot of fun uh, when when we share that gift and not hoard it. And and if, if there's one thing that I absolutely have to hang my hat on for the rest of my life, it's, it's that, that that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to deepen my understanding of my gift and how I can share it with people and help other people do the same. That's fantastic. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All righty, Creative Giants. You heard it from Jeff. What gift do you have that you know you can share with the world? And what do you need to do today to inch a little bit more into sharing that gift? And then wake up and do it again tomorrow. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for Creative Giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.